and welcome to The Auto Approach, a podcast created by medical students for medical students to teach you about all things otolaryngology. I'm your host, Giselle, and today we're going to be talking about nasal trauma. Tag along for a discussion on this interesting topic. Nasal trauma is the most common facial injury worldwide, with nasal bone fractures being the commonest facial skeleton fracture. This is due to the outward projection of the nose, placing it at a higher risk of injury, as well as the relative weakness of nasal structures. The incidence has been reported as 53 in 100,000. The mechanism of injury leading to nasal trauma varies. In the adult population, the most common causes of fractures to the nasal bone are interpersonal violence, motor vehicle accidents, sporting accidents, and falls. In children and adolescents, the most common etiologies are sporting and motor vehicle accidents. It is interesting to note that of all sport-related nasal traumas, ball-related sports such as soccer, basketball, and baseball are more common than fighting-related sports such as boxing. In North America, traffic accidents are the most common etiology, followed by interpersonal violence. Nasal bone and septal fractures have a much higher prevalence in men and boys as compared to women and girls. The difference has been attributed to the higher incidence of interpersonal violence between men and boys. Before we do a deep dive into the etiology of nasal trauma, let's first review the relevant anatomy. The nose is structurally supported by three main types of tissue, cartilage, bone, and skin. The proximal portion of the nose is composed of bone, while the distal portion is cartilaginous. There are two paired nasal bones that attach to the frontal bone superiorly at the nasal frontal suture and to the maxilla laterally at the nasal maxillary suture. Underlying the nasal bones are the ethmoid bones. The perpendicular plate of the ethmoid bone is met by the vomer, an independent bone, inferiorly. Below the vomer is a maxillary crest. These three bones, the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid, the vomer, and the maxillary crest, make up the bony nasal septum. Anterior to the bony nasal septum is a quadrangular cartilage, which varies in thickness from 0.7 to 3 millimeters, with the thickest portion at the base of the septum. This forms the remainder of the nasal septum. The rest of the cartilaginous portion of the nose consists of five parts, the septal nasal cartilage, the two lateral nasal cartilages, the major and minor alar cartilages, and the vomer nasal cartilage. There's a region located in the middle one-third of the nose referred to as the keystone area, and it is critical in maintaining stability of the nasal dorsum. This region is comprised of the nasal bones superiorly, the upper lateral cartilages inferiorly, the quadrangular cartilage anterior inferiorly, and the ethmoid bone posterior inferiorly. These four components are tightly interconnected with the mucoperiosteum and mucoperichondrium and dense fibrous tissue. This area has clinical importance in nasal facial aesthetics as it is responsible for dorsal contour and orientation of the nasal dorsum beyond the nasal bones. Another important anatomical feature of the nose is the support of the nasal tip, which is supplied by the paired alar cartilages forming a tripod also called an M arch. This arch is supported in space through attachment to various structures. Understanding of this support mechanism is fundamental in performing a rhinoplasty. The mechanisms of support can be divided into major and minor tip support. Major tip support considers three factors. First is the size, shape, and strength of the paired alar cartilages. Second is the attachment of the medial curl footplate to the inferior end of the nasal septum. Lastly is the scroll region, which is bordered by the superior margins of the lower lateral cartilages and the inferior margins of the upper lateral cartilages. Minor tip support includes the anterior nasal spine, 
the lateral curl attachment to the piriform aperture, and the interdomal septum, along with the membranous septum, the dorsal septum, and the overlay of skin and soft tissue covering the nasal tip. It is important to note that the relative significance of each aspect of the nasal tip support mechanism can vary between patients. Compared to adults, children's noses have anatomical differences which underlie the differences seen between adult and pediatric nasal traumas. Firstly, because of the nasal bone is not fully developed, nasal fractures are less common in the pediatric population. It is the cartilaginous projections from the anterior nose that are at risk of injury in these facial traumas. These cartilages bend, and as a result, blunt force dissipates to the surrounding structures, causing widespread edema. Additionally, the septal cartilage can be dislocated, which poses a risk of acute airway obstruction and long-term growth disturbances. As children approach adolescence, the nasal bone structure develops to resemble that of an adult, and the injuries that accompany nasal traumas change accordingly. The initial workup and management of nasal trauma is crucial to successful outcomes. Nasal and septal bone fractures have a variety of presentations. They can be unilateral or bilateral, non-displaced or severely depressed, comminuted, meaning broken in more than one place, or green stick, meaning the bone is bent or cracked instead of broken into separate pieces. Additionally, fractures are not limited to the nasal bone and it can include the nasal or septal cartilage and even the surrounding facial bones in more severe injuries. Due to the complexity of nasal injuries, proper diagnosis is important. When assessing a new nasal trauma patient, the Advanced Trauma and Life Support Protocol, or ATLS, is used in Canada to dictate the initial management and resuscitation of all trauma patients. A primary trauma survey should be performed first to address airway, breathing, circulation, and disability for any life-threatening problems. It is essential for this to be done prior to taking a history or performing a physical exam, as patients with airway or hemodynamic issues may decompensate quickly without medical attention. Next, a thorough history of the events surrounding the trauma is necessary to determine the type and severity. You may be able to gather this information from the patient. However, in some cases, the history may need to be obtained collaterally from a witness or the police in cases of violent etiologies. Motor vehicle accidents tend to cause the most severe nasal trauma. In such cases, it is important to ask the patient if they know roughly what speed the vehicle was moving at during the time of collision. The direction of the impact force will determine the type and severity of the fracture. Lateral type injuries are more common and tend to cause less severe damage and thus have a better prognosis. They typically cause infractures on the impacted side, meaning the bone is shifted medially, and outfractures on the opposite side, meaning the bone is shifted laterally. Head-on injuries are typically more severe and result in splaying out fractures where both lateral and nasal bones break in an outward direction. It is important to inquire about the patient's symptoms. You should inquire about rhinorrhea, specifically with a sweet or salty taste, as this can indicate a cerebrospinal fluid leak. Next, you should assess the patient's ability to smell. This can be difficult because there's almost always nasal edema immediately following nasal traumas, which can impact the patient's ability to smell. If that is the case, it should be reassessed after swelling has subsided. Persistent anosmia or hyposmia which refer to loss or reduced sense of smell, respectively, will occur in approximately 5% of patients suffering from head injuries. In one-third of cases, it will resolve spontaneously. 
It is important to understand the baseline pre-morbid appearance of the patient by asking them if they notice any obvious deformities. Old photographs should also be used to assess for deformities. This will help in understanding the injury and planning its management. Additionally, you should ask the patient about any prior nasal traumas, surgeries, allergies, or sinus pathologies. Individuals with a history of rhinoplasty or facial reconstructive surgery are more susceptible to nasal injury. Next, a complete review of systems should be conducted to understand any underlying medical conditions or previous injuries that may impact their susceptibility to injury or ability to recover after treatment. Finally, a very important aspect of the history in nasal traumas includes inquiring about non-accidental causes of injury. This is specifically important in cases of pediatric nasal trauma, as child abuse should be thoroughly investigated to rule out any potential danger to the child. A thorough physical examination of the head and neck must be conducted, including inspection of the mouth, eyes, and ears. Close attention should be paid to the nasal cavity and nasal dorsum. An overhead light and a nasal speculum can aid in this examination. A few important things to look for include exposed bone or cartilage, nasal pyramid deviation, telecanthus, and saddle nose deformity. Telecanthus is an increased intercanthal distance, which can indicate nasal orbital ethmoid fracture. Saddle nose deformity is a collapse in the middle vault in relation to the nasal tip and dorsum. This deformity can indicate significant dislocation or fracture of the septum. Additionally, it is extremely important to look for a septal hematoma, in this case, a submecoperichondral accumulation of blood, which can present as a fluctuant red or blue discoloration along the septum, and has classically been described as looking like a cherry. This would require immediate drainage within the first 24 hours following the trauma to prevent the development of necrosis or an abscess. If left untreated, a nasal hematoma can lead to a perforation of the nasal septum or development of an infection, which can be quite serious. Lastly, assess for clear rhinorrhea as it may indicate a cerebrospinal fluid leak, as previously mentioned. It is important to always assess for red flag symptoms that can indicate more severe damage. In the case of nasal trauma, these would include telecanthus and clear rhinorrhea, as well as diplopia, malocclusion, and facial weakness or numbness. Imaging modalities and laboratory tests can aid in evaluating nasal traumas. The gold standard imaging modality is a CT scan of the facial bones without IV contrast. This is reserved for scenarios when there is a concern for more extensive facial injuries or when previously stated red flags are present. As outlined by Choosing Wisely Canada, there is clear evidence that plain film x-ray provides no contribution to assessing nasal trauma, which is supported by their low specificity and sensitivity as 55.7% and 63.3% respectively. The decision to reduce a nasal fracture depends on factors that cannot be assessed with x-ray, including patient preference, obstruction to breathing, and external or cartilaginous deformity. Despite their limited contribution, Plain film x-rays continue to be ordered for nasal trauma patients, resulting in underdiagnosis and undertreatment of nasal injuries. Ultrasonography is being studied to aid in diagnosing nasal bone fractures, but does not currently compare to the utility of a CT scan. The two occasions when laboratory tests may be useful are severe epistaxis with extensive blood loss and suspicion of a CSF leak. In these situations, a CBC with coagulation studies can be used to assess for blood loss, and fluid testing for beta-2 transferrin can be used to confirm a CSF leak. 
A proper diagnosis for a nasal trauma is important in planning the management. The differential should include injuries for the surrounding spatial skeleton. There are four major diagnoses that we will discuss here. The first diagnosis is a nasoorbital ethmoid complex fracture. This occurs when a fracture to the nasal bone extends posteriorly into the ethmoid air cells and medially to the canthus of one or both eyes. The hallmark for this condition is traumatic telecanthus. The second diagnosis is a skull-based fracture, which is typically seen in high-velocity impact traumas, such as motor vehicle accidents. A common presentation for skull-based fractures is bilateral periorbital ecchymosis, also known as raccoon eyes, or post-auricular ecchymosis, also known as battle sign. These patients are at an increased risk of CSF leaks, spinal fractures, and concussion. The third diagnosis is an orbital fracture. The main indicators of an orbital fracture are periorbital edema or ecchymosis. If the floor of the orbit is fractured, patients may present with hypothesia of the cheek or limitation of extraocular muscles, leading to diplopia. Finally, we will consider Lefort fractures, named after Rene Lefort, who studied cadavers subject to blunt force trauma to determine the lines of weakness in the maxilla. These fractures make up 10 to 20% of all facial fractures. It is important to note that the pterygoid plate is involved in all Lefort fractures. While the absence of a pterygoid fracture rules out a Lefort fracture, the presence of a pterygoid fracture does not necessarily indicate a Lefort fracture. Lefort fractures are classified into three groups based on the direction of the fracture and each have accompanying head and cervical spine injuries. The three groups are type 1, horizontal, type 2, pyramidal, and type 3, craniofacial. Type 1 fractures result from a downward force directed to the lower rim of the maxilla. Type 2 fractures result from the trauma to a pyramidal-shaped region defined by the bridge of the nose, extending laterally to the inferior rim of the orbit. Type 3 fractures cover the largest surface area and include force anywhere between the lower half of the orbit to the inferior border of the maxilla. Next, we will consider treatment options for nasal trauma. Nasal injuries can sometimes require urgent assessment and intervention, as previously mentioned. Since the nose is a central feature of facial aesthetics, as well as an integral component of respiration, the proper treatment of nasal traumas is critical to patient quality of life. Delay in time before management has been shown to produce worse outcomes. This is likely because as time progresses following an injury, the injured structures begin to heal, making management more difficult and thus yielding worse outcomes. Prior to treating underlying injuries, control of epistaxis and closure of lacerations should be performed. Epistaxis can often be controlled with digital pressure, but in more severe cases may require nasal packing or cauterization. Please refer to our episode on epistaxis for more information on management. Once acute problems have been solved, long-term management can be considered. We will discuss three levels of management for nasal trauma, conservative management, nasal bone manipulation, or invasive surgical intervention. Conservative measures are usually reserved for patients without obvious cosmetic deformities or nasal obstructions. Conservative management includes elevating the head and icing the injured area to decrease facial edema. Once the swelling has settled, patients should be reassessed for nasal deformities, which could have been previously masked by the swelling. In the United States, rates of nasal bone fractures have been increasing since 2000 yet the rate of repairs have remained relatively stable. 
This suggests a gradual change to more conservative and non-operative forms of management. The choice of conservative management is very patient-dependent. Once all life-threatening injuries have been treated, it is important to prioritize the patient's values in determining next steps of care. For those seeking further management, closed reduction of the nasal septum is typically the first line of treatment for fractures causing deviation or airway obstruction. This procedure may be performed under local anesthetic. However, general anesthesia is an option if OR access is available. This route would be considered for patient comfort and airway protection and is the mainstay in pediatric patients. There is often debate over when nasal reduction should be performed. Some say it is best to perform a reduction within the first five to seven days following surgery, while others argue that edema should be fully resolved first, which may take up to two weeks. While there is possibility for worse cosmetic outcomes as structures begin to heal, most patients seeking intervention will have it done within the first two weeks. A closed reduction can be performed with a flat instrument such as a Boyce or a Sarah elevator to reduce fractured bony fragments. Postoperatively, nasal splints are placed against the nasal dorsum to aid in keeping the septum aligned. Closed reduction is contraindicated in severe comminuted fractures of the nasal bone, open septal fractures, fractures that are delayed in the presentation by two to three weeks, and Lefort fractures, which require open reduction. Lastly, an open septal rhinoplasty can be performed for fractures that cannot be reduced via a closed approach. Open septum rhinoplasties should be reserved for cases with complex bony and cartilaginous injuries that require extensive manipulation, grafting, osteotomies, and careful suturing. For more straightforward nasal obstructions, a full septal rhinoplasty is not required. This invasive surgical procedure is generally avoided due to the risk of devascularization of the damaged cartilaginous tissue. Additionally, the cartilage grafts that are used during these rhinoplasties are more susceptible to infection and absorption. As such, in the case that a rhinoplasty is required to correct the injuries, it is recommended to wait three to six months following the initial trauma. In cases of sport-related nasal trauma, such as hockey or boxing, surgeons will often counsel patients on the impact that recurrent trauma has on repair outcomes as revisions can be very challenging. As such, patients may be told that they must wear more protective equipment, such as a caged helmet, or in more severe cases, discontinue their sport entirely before the surgeon will agree to perform the repair out of best interest for the patient. Patient recovery varies greatly following management of nasal traumas. Residual nasal deformity is the main complaint, presenting a 9-50% of patients who underwent a closed reduction. Residual deformity or nasal obstruction can be attended to with a follow-up septorhinoplasty. This procedure should be delayed 3-6 to six months to allow for healing of lacerations and cartilaginous injuries. Outcomes can be improved by addressing nasal fractures promptly following injury. However, patients with prior deformity or obstruction are at a higher risk of needing revision following the initial procedure. We will wrap up this episode with a few key takeaways and clinical pearls on nasal traumas. The nasal bones are the most frequently fractured bones in the maxillofacial area. A high proportion of patients presenting with nasal bone fractures will have injury to their nasal septum that will go unnoticed. In isolated nasal bone fractures, Imaging is not necessary and should be avoided unless initial assessment suggests otherwise. If a decision is made to intervene, for optimal cosmetic results, closed reduction of the nasal bone should be performed within two weeks of the initial trauma. Finally, 
It is important to assess for airway obstruction and previously mentioned red flag signs to avoid patient decomposition following nasal trauma. That concludes this episode of The Auto Approach. I would like to thank Aileen Festchuk, Kalpesh Hathi, Yusef Omar, Dr. Emily Chang, Dr. Katie Oxford, and Dr. Christopher Chin for reviewing this script. We'd also like to extend our sincerest thank you to the St. John Regional Hospital Department of Surgery within the Horizon Health Network for their generous support. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you'll stay tuned for our next episode. Please head to our website at www.theautoapproach.com for our show notes and to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with our latest episodes.